Okay, we're going to read from the Bible together now. So boys and girls, if you want to grab one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find our Bible reading on page 61. It's the blue book in the pews, and we're reading on page 61 from Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read verses 1 to 17. At our morning services, we've been thinking about the Ten Commandments. And at our evening services, your mums and dads are thinking about the Ten Commandments in a little bit more detail uh, for a little bit longer time. But we're going to read the Ten Commandments again together tonight. So it's Exodus chapter 20, and it's verses 1 to 17. Page 61 of the Pew Bibles, and this is God's word to us. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to serve to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, <coughs> Excuse me. you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour, you shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Amen. And we thank God for his word, the Bible. Well, at this point in our service, you'll find it really helpful to turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. We're thinking this evening about the third commandment. And you'll find Exodus 20 on page 61 of the Pew Bibles, page 61. And as you're turning to it, let's pray for just a brief moment. Father, help us in these moments to study your word, to focus on your word, and to understand what the meaning and the application of the third commandment is. Your name is great and exalted. The Lord Jesus' name is the name above all names. Help us to exalt his name in our hearts in these moments, for we pray in his name. Amen. On the 8th of January, 1697, at two o'clock in the afternoon, a young man called Thomas Aikenhead was taken to the gallows on the road between Edinburgh and Leith in Scotland. The hangman pulled away the ladder, the body swung, and the theology student, not quite 19, was dead. What was his crime? Had he committed a terrible sin like murder? 
Had he taken someone else's life? Had he robbed someone and taken something of significant value? Had he committed treason against the reigning monarch? You might be surprised to hear that he hadn't done any of those things. What was his crime? It was blasphemy. An act of the Scottish Parliament in 1695, so two years before Aikenhead was hanged, decreed that a person not distracted in his wits, who railed or cursed against God or person of the Trin- or any person of the Trinity, was to be punished with death. In prosecuting the case, James Stewart, the Lord Advocate, which is the Scottish version of the Attorney General, addressed Aikenhead and said this to him. It is of verity that you, Thomas Aikenhead, shaking off all fear of God and regard to his majesty's laws, have now for more than a twelve-month made it as, as it were your endeavour and work to vent your wicked blasphemies against God and our Saviour Jesus Christ. Now, where are we going from here? Well, I'm not about to argue that the government in our day should reenact blasphemy laws that date back to the 17th century Scotland. But what that story does is that it provides quite a dramatic backdrop to the way in which our culture endorses blasphemy as a way of life. The name of God is routinely misused by all ages and in all places. If you turn your television on and sit for not a very long time, you will hear the name of God misused. Now, the thing is, it's not a new problem. It's actually a problem that dates all the way back to Bible times. The psalmist addressed the same issue in his generation. Now listen to these words from Psalm 74, 18, and listen to the contemporary ring they have. The psalmist said, Remember how the enemy has mocked you, Lord, how foolish people have reviled your name, misused your name. This is an issue that is echoed down through the corridors of history. It's easy to read the third commandment, though, and think that it's not that big a deal. It seems like an easy one to avoid breaking. It's a little bit like the second commandment in that way. Don't make idols. That sounds pretty easy. We don't make things out of wood and we don't bow down to them. Tick. Let's move on. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Well, that's easy. Just don't swear. Or if we're feeling generous and if we indulge in the occasional choice word, I think the term up here is switcher. Is that right? Nod your head if that's right. Switcher. Is that the word? Yeah. If we indulge in the occasional switcher and we stub our toe or we're stuck in traffic, someone annoys us on the road, just don't swear using the name of God. Simple. Tick. On to the fourth commandment. But, but, but as we've seen through the first two commandments, the third is going to point beyond the bare minimum obedience to abundant life. If all that was at stake was literal name usage, we could check off our compliance to this commandment by applying some minor self-control. If we think that violating the third commandment is a light offence, though, we're really quite mistaken. Listen to Leviticus 24, 16, and this sets the biblical context of the commandment. Leviticus 24 says, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Now, the thing to say about that verse is that it's from the civil law that applied to the nation of Israel. As we said last time, the civil law is now obsolete because the people of God is not the nation of Israel, but the church. So it's civil law doesn't quite apply in the same way. But that said, Leviticus twenty four sixteen clearly shows the severity of this sin. 
Even the sojourner was liable to punishment. That meant that if an Israelite had a visitor come into their home and they committed blasphemy, the Israelite was bound by civil law to put him to death. Whether you were visiting Israel or a native of the land, it was to be understood that the name of the Lord was holy and not to be blasphemed in any circumstances. With that background in mind, let's unpack the meaning of this commandment. We're going to do that through three simple headings. We're going to think about the what of the commandment, the why of the commandment, and the how of the commandment. What, why, and how. Really simple outline and quite similar to this morning. First of all, let's think about the what of the third commandment. What exactly is forbidden by the third commandment? Let's just read it again so that it's fresh in our minds. Exodus 20 verse 7 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, who takes his name in vain. Uh, The word vain, as you'll see it in your Bibles, can mean empty, nothing, worthless, or to no good purpose. Uh, what, What exactly is forbidden by the third commandment? Well, we're forbidden from taking the name of God in a manner that is wicked, worthless, or for wrong purposes. Uh, this doesn't mean that we have to avoid the divine name altogether. Uh, the name Yahweh, the Lord, uh, the, the name that is in uppercase letters in your Bibles, appears around 7,000 times in the Old Testament. We shouldn't be superstitious about saying his name. So, so some people won't say God's name, but we don't need to be like that. We just must not misuse it. Uh, the Old Testament identifies several ways in which the third commandment can be violated. And most obvious is to blaspheme or curse the name of God. So Leviticus twenty four sixteen again. But there's a little bit more to the commandment than that. The, the third commandment also forbids empty or false oaths. So listen to Leviticus nineteen twelve: You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. The point is that When you make a declaration swearing by God's name, it must not be a false promise or one that you do not intend to keep. The civil law doesn't apply. It's Leviticus again. But let's think of a modern day example. You're in court. Hopefully this never happens. But you're in court and you're about to give evidence. You're on the stand and you have to make an oath to tell the truth. And the wording of the oath in our country is, I swear by Almighty God that the evidence I shall give shall be the truth the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. If you take that oath and then tell a pack of lies to the judge and to the court, you have clearly broken the third commandment. As well as that, the third commandment also prohibits false visions and false claims to speak on God's behalf. Jeremiah 23, 25 says that people who do that prophesy lies in my name. Strangely as well, sacrificing your children to the false god of Moloch was also considered a violation of the third commandment because it profaned the name of God. Uh, The reference, if you want it, is Leviticus 18.21. The Israelites were to stone the man who sacrificed his children in this way. A failure to do so would allow uncleanness to come into the camp and would, as a consequence, besmirch the name of the Lord who, who dwelt with his people. So that's the what of the third commandment. That's what's forbidden by the third commandment. Our next point is the why of the third commandment. But breaking the third commandment is, is clearly considered a, a really terrible, serious sin. But why? There are only 10 commandments, only 10 words to summarize everything that God wants for us by way of obedience. How does watch your mouth make the top 10? What's the big deal about God's name? 
Well, let's rewind the tape a little bit and let's go from Exodus 20 to Exodus 3. There, God speaks to Moses from the burning bush. God, M- Moses asks God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God replies with these famous words, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God names himself as the sovereign, sovereign self-existent one. In fact, the covenant name Yahweh is probably connected to the Hebrew verb to be. God is that he is. That is his name. H- having rewinded the tape, let's fast forward instead. We see the same thing in Exodus 33. Moses asks God to show him his glory and in reply, God speaks to him, speaks to him his name. I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim my name, proclaim before you my name, the Lord. That's Exodus 33, 19. The, the way to see God's glory is to hear his name. To know the name of Yahweh, the merciful and gracious one, is not merely to know something about God, it's to know God himself. God shows himself by speaking his name. Here's a question for you. Do do you know what your name means? Your first name, your middle name, even your surname. Do you know what it means? In modern Western culture, parents commonly select names for their children based on personal preference. We name our children after a relative or a significant person or according to a popularity trend or just because we like the way a name sounds. We had to do this recently, come up with a name for a child. We had two options, one for a boy, one for a girl. We ended up using the boy option, obviously, Judah. There are no Judas in either of our families, but the meaning of the name is significant. Judah is the fourth son of Jacob and his first wife, Leah. Jacob didn't treat Leah very well, but God blessed her with four sons. And when Judah was born, she said, this time I will praise the Lord, Genesis 29:35. That, that, that story and that verse is, in particular is precious to us following our Judah's birth. Names are precious though, aren't they? And we, we, we don't like our names or the names of our loved ones to be ridiculed or twisted or made fun of. Um, I've never really had any nicknames. The worst nickname I ever had, or the one that I disliked the most, was one that I was given in school. I was called Wee Stevie in high school. Now, you can call me it if you want, but I'll not love you if you do. It's, it's not the worst nickname you could ever have. And it does point to the fact that I am slightly horizontally challenged. But, but, but funny nicknames given to us is one thing. Irreverent use of God's name is another. Everywhere in scripture, the name of the Lord is exalted in the highest possible terms. Let me, let me pepper you with some examples and references. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 8 verse 1. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, Psalm 29, verse 2. The first petition of the Lord's Prayer, we read it this morning, is, Hallowed be your name, Luke 11, verse 2. And Paul assured the Romans that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, Romans 10, 13. And the culminating event in all of creation, the end of history, is when, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians chapter 2. You maybe know what your name means. You probably know what your children's names mean. And the names of our loved ones are precious to us. In the same way, 
The Bible doesn't want us to forget the holy importance of the divine name. The what of the third commandment, the why of the third commandment, and the how of the third commandment. How do we apply this commandment to us as New Testament Christians living in the breed in 2023? The thing with this commandment, as with other commandments, is that I could complain for a reasonable amount of time about blasphemy in our culture today. Television is awful, radio isn't far behind, but that would be easy, and that would be letting us off the hook, because we know outward blasphemy is wrong, and we probably don't do it that much. We need to apply the third commandment to ourselves in a relevant way. We need to apply it, in, 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 we need to apply it in a way that sinks deeply into our hearts as the people of God. Let, let me give you two big applications of the third commandment. You can break the third commandment, first of all, through the sin of lip service. Through the sin of lip service. We can misuse the name of the Lord by speaking hallowed words while living hollow lives. Speaking hollow words while living hollow lives. When we preach a moral code that we ourselves don't strive to uphold, we become like those Jesus railed against during his ministry, a people who honor God with our lips, but whose hearts are far from him. This is the parent who requires her child to apologize to her, but who never apologizes for her own mistakes and feelings. It's the person in church singing hymns at the top of their lungs, but who hasn't read their Bible in months. It's the man who prays publicly with great piety and eloquence, but whose private prayer life is non-existent. It's the person who's doing something in church on a Sunday morning that deals with other people, but who has berated their family for being slow to get in the car. It's the preacher who tells other people to repent, but harbors an unrepentant heart. In each of those examples, a person uses words to indicate a relationship with God that is inaccurate, they identify with his name, but not with his nature. They, they are those to whom Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Luke six forty six. With their speech, they cry, Lord, Lord, but in their hearts, they don't set him apart as such. So you can break the third commandment through the sin of lip service. Will we represent a holy God accurately when we preach only what we practice? So that's the first big application. Here's the second. You can break the third commandment by speaking disrespectfully of or to God by succumbing to informality. Let me say that again. You can break the third commandment by speaking disrespect, disrespect, disrespectfully of or, or to God by succumbing to informality. Uh, there have been lots of films over the years that have attempted to give us an insight into the private life, private lives of someone important, uh, the president, the queen, and so on. Uh, the 1995 film, The American President, does just that. It's supposed to be an insight into the top job in world politics. But there's a scene in the film where a character called A.J. McInerney, who, who is the White House, White House Chief of Staff, is having a private discussion with the president, Andrew Shepard, a man who has been his lifelong friend. Repeatedly, A.J. prefaces his comments with the words, Mr. President, and at length, Shepard tells him that in private, he can call him by his given name. He says, you were the best man at my wedding, for crying out loud, call me Andy, he says. To which A.J. responds, whatever you say, Mr. President. The film was released in 1995, 28 years ago. What was odd then is even odder now. 
What must have struck the first viewers of the film and what definitely strikes us now is the formal social practice Edge sticks to. We live in a culture that is increasingly informal in its societal practices. Clothing at work, clothing at church, clothing at school has become more casual. Wedding invitations are less formal. Thank you notes don't exist. They're WhatsApps or texts now. The, the, the way we address each other has become more casual too. You don't call me Reverend Kennedy, you call me Stephen. And if you call me Reverend Kennedy, I will immediately correct you. I remember once leading a service in a church that you would know if I named it. I was just leading the service and somebody else was preaching. And in the pastoral prayer before the sermon, I prayed for the, I prayed for the person who was about to preach and called him Rev something. If I told you, I told you his name, you'd know him. After the service, though, he made a, an absolute beeline for me. And the first thing he said was, never call me Rev. It's always his first name. And it's kind of the same with me. Children nowadays are are rarely trained to address adults as Mr. or Mrs. unless the adult is a teacher. We are increasingly on a first name basis with everyone. So when we see or hear about AJ and how he refuses to call a close friend by his given name, we're kind of thrown off. It's weird. Why wouldn't he just call him Andy? But here's the thing. AJ recognises the sanctity of the office of president as something that supersedes or is more important than his personal relationship with the man in the office. AJ also understands that a diminished awareness of his friend's position of authority would compromise his ability to serve the president as he should. He will, you might say, not misuse the name of the president. And this is where the application for us comes. It's common in Christian settings to speak of the Son of God by only his given name, Jesus. We're all gathered here today to worship Jesus. Jesus is all I need. Jesus has changed my life. But what's interesting is that this pattern of speech is absent from the New Testament. The New New Testament authors use Jesus to speak of the historical person, particularly when addressing unbelievers. In Acts, the speeches of Stephen, Paul, and Peter are examples of this. The gospel writers use the name of Jesus by itself to to tell the history of the incarnation. But those who interact with Jesus in the gospel narratives always refer to him as teacher or Lord. Only once in the gospels does someone address him simply as Jesus of Nazareth, a group of demons who in the same breath acknowledge his deity. In all 21 of the epistles, he's referred to only 28 times as Jesus but 484 times by the title Lord or Christ. A staggering 95% of the times he's mentioned, he's referred to by a title of respect. But we tend to just call him Jesus. And I do it a lot actually as well. It's worth asking ourselves the question though, does our frequent use of his given name indicate a lack of respect? The New Testament writers take care to grant our Lord and Saviour the reverence he is due. We should pay attention to this for the health of our souls. We we enjoy friendship with Christ, but we don't share equality with him. He's not our peer. Recognizing that he sits even now at the right hand of God the Father means speaking of him and to him with respect after the pattern of the scriptures. So you you can break the third commandment through the sin of lip service, and you can break the third commandment by speaking disrespectfully of or to God by succumbing to informality. We should be careful about both of those things. (coughs) 
So that's the what of the third commandment, the why of the third commandment, and the how of the third commandment. Oh, I've got so far. <laughs> you, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's Exodus 20, verse 7, the third commandment. Do you know it would be great <coughs> if the last bit of the commandment had been left off? For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. If that bit had been left off, it would have been great. But it hasn't been. And I have a problem, and you have a problem. I, I am guilty, and you're guilty. Guilty as the day is long. We're guilty of lip service and informality. And on top of that, shock horror. We've been known to say a bad word or two in a moment of weakness. I am by no means guiltless. You're by no means guiltless. We have misused the name. We have spoken bad words. But our guilt is removed by the blood of one who speaks a better word. When the Lord Jesus proclaimed the good news of living water, the officers of the temple who were sent to arrest him marveled and said, no one ever spoke like this man nor was any deceit found in his mouth, no inconsistency of speech, no lip service. The word made flesh kept the third commandment and hallowed the name. He's still doing so. We look to him as our guilt bearer and our example. We are his people called by his name. And there's coming a day when that name will be hallowed as it should be. Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess it. It will be written on the foreheads of the faithful who surround the Lamb who together sing, who, who will together sing, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. There's coming a day when the one whose name is above every name will say your name when you meet him in glory. Welcome to eternity in heaven with me, Stephen. Put your own name in that sentence, but realize that you don't have to wait until that day to respond in obedience to the third commandment. To be honest, too much is at stake for you not to respond in obedience. It's not enough to simply stop swearing. The third commandment calls us to, to honor our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the way that we speak about him. When we treat his name with honour, we shine like stars in a crooked generation. And the thing is, who knows who will be drawn to that light? I'm nearly done, but let me wrap up with this anecdote. When I was 20 or 21, I wanted to be a sports journalist. and My hero was Dan Walker. One, because he was a Christian, and two, because he was a sports journalist. He came to Northern Ireland when I was about 20 or 21, and I heard him speak about what it means for him to be a Christian in the context God has placed him. It was pretty difficult to be a Bible-believing Christian in the media 10, 12 years ago. It's even more difficult now. But I have a vivid memory of Dan Walker talking about opportunities that he had to speak to people who are incredibly famous about his faith. During interviews, he had spoken to David Beckham about going to church, and this is the one that stands out. He spoke to Noel Gallagher once about why he doesn't swear. He was talking to Noel Gallagher in whatever context before an interview, and Noel Gallagher said to him, why do you not swear? I noticed it. Well, what he said was, what Dan Walker said was that he found it hard to witness, but he always tried to remember that he might be the only Christian rich and famous people will ever meet. 
increasingly, for people like you and me, that will be the case as well. We don't live in the 17th century. There are no Thomas Aiken heads today. Our culture endorses blasphemy as a way of life. But as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, let's remember that there is salvation by no other name. And let's live as those who are marked by it. Let every other name be forgotten and his endure. Let every other name sink into darkness and his be the one that shines like the sun. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And we come again to you in prayer, realizing how convicting it is to study the third commandment. We realize that its application is far-reaching. We simply pray that we would exalt your name and that we would give your name the honor and respect and worship that it's due. Father, we praise you for who you are, for all that you've done for us. And we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our friend. We thank you that he has rescued us, that he has taken our guilt away, and that we are now known by his name. Help us to honor him in all that we do this week and help us to keep the third commandment and to live the application of it out. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.